weirdos it's christine and daria back with another episode of getting weird it's about time it's been a few weeks yeah it's been a while it's good to be back we hope you're all still listening out there yeah we we haven't abandoned you we just uh had a weird couple weeks there things got weird that's all i can say as they do (laughs) y'all get it so today we're going to be talking about lucid dreaming and before we get to that i'm going to just do a quick check-in Gary, how's the last few weeks been for you um yeah it's been pretty good definitely just still kind of bummed that you know the the virus is back at full force and we were just talking earlier about how some people have different views and it's hard to negotiate interactions with uh, people who don't really believe in masks or anything like that. So it's kind of, I guess, um, interesting. Uh, Yeah, but otherwise it's been a good couple weeks just trying to stay out of the heat and otherwise enjoying the summer. What about you? You just went on a big trip. Yeah, I went on a long camping trip. Uh, definitely much needed. And very, it was really good to have a change of scenery and just kind of put hit the pause button, do a digital, pretty much, you know, for 10 days I had a digital detox. So no, no screens, no news. And then that resetting of the circadian rhythms that happens when you're camping, you know, just going to sleep when the sun goes down, waking up when the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. That was really good. There was, it was still not the same experience as other years, of course, with COVID and everything. Um, and there was a lot of people out camping and a lot of people who, who, who had never maybe been camping before and didn't have basic safety and etiquette down. You know, if, if you've never been camping, watch a YouTube, you could watch a YouTube video first or something, but we had, we stayed, I'll just use one example. We stayed in this campground in Silverton and it was pretty high elevation. The campground's at about 10,500 feet. And, <laughs> and we were talking to the camp host and he said, he's like, I'll never post again, I'll never be a camp host again after this year because it's just been so insane with the amount of people coming through that uh, aren't, aren't being safe and aren't being, aren't knowing what they're doing. So apparently these two girls came into the campground and took a site, they didn't pay for it. They took all the food out of their car and put it on the picnic table and then left to go for a hike. So they just left all of their food out, their cooler out, everything, went for a hike came back so there's a fire ban and there's red tape over the fire grates that says no fires they started a fire and burned that tape off (laughs) and finally the camp host came over and was like hey you guys you can't leave food out like this you guys didn't even pay and now you're having a fire there's a fire ban and the girls were like well we said we thought we'd start a fire because we, it got really cold and he's like, you need to put on extra clothes. You can't have a fire. And they're like, well, we didn't bring any extra clothes. So camp, you know how cold it gets at that elevation at night. 
Mm-hmm. Makeup's below freezing. And they didn't have any, they were just wearing shorts and tank tops and didn't have any like warm clothes with them. And he's like, well, you guys didn't even pay for your site. And she's like, oh, I thought it said free area. And he's like, no, it says fee area. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, you know, and just two, two, two people who are very inexperienced just going out. And that could have caused a safety issue, leaving the food out, you know, for the whole campground with bears and, and also just the fire ban. There was a lot of wind and it's super dry down there. There's a lot of drought. Anyways, I digress, but it was a, it was just a different experience um, than what I'm used to. But I will say the one really fun, probably the best time I had there was we went to a clothing optional hot springs. Which one was that? Uh, we went to Orvis. Oh, I love Rich- Orvis. Yeah. yeah. And I went out fully, you know, in my suit at first. <laughs> I was wearing a bikini and it was like slowly, like the suit started coming off in pieces because every, um, I mean, probably yeah. 75% of the people there were nude and it was, it's it was almost more distracting to wear a suit. Right. It's only weird to be naked when you're the only person naked. But when everybody else is naked, it's weird to not be naked. Yeah. Just like it's weird to not be wearing a mask and everyone else is wearing a mask and you should wear a mask. <laughs> Did you go in the lobster pot pool? I couldn't. You know, Tibor was in there a lot, um, my partner, but I, I, I couldn't get all the way in. It was so hot. I did hang out in the, in the cold pool for a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, the, that that lobster pot is, was super hot. I could, I like dipped my legs in and I had to take them out. I went there like, I think two years ago and I did, I alternated with the cold pool, which is just like cold, really cold water and the lobster pot and just back and forth, back and forth. And I felt so good after that. I think it just like, it makes all the blood go to your extremities and then away from your extremities. So Mm -hmm. it kind of pumps all the blood to and from your organs so everything gets kind of flushed out and I felt amazing it made me want to get a a hot tub and a cold pool at my house Mm -hmm. even if you had just like a like an outdoor cold shower that would be there's something different about sitting in a pool of water yeah Yeah. you like the whole contrast bath from the whole body yeah (laughs) circle back to the camping thing though I think a lot of people are getting cabin fever and they just need to go somewhere and the only place you can really go that's somewhat safe um is camping mm-hmm. and it becomes less safe because everybody's doing it and yeah I think I think a lot of people who are going camping now have never been camping and they just say okay well I'll just go camping and there's a lot to know because I didn't grow up camping I think the first time I went camping, I was in high school um, because my family never did that. So I had no idea what I was doing and I had to have all the people around me kind of teach me and it's still, there's still things I'm learning. So yeah, it's definitely an awesome thing to do, but it's not just something you just go out and just do. Yeah. You just really, you want to be safe. You you just want to be safe and it's, there's, there's been, um, you know, the Hesse Trailhead is closed up by um, 
because at Lost Lake, people were backpacking and leaving food in their tents, and a bear got into the tents. And, and then so, they have to kill the bear. They kill the bear. It's not even his fault. So yeah, you just leave food, and the bear comes, and yeah. So it's really sad, you know. You so I'm probably we're preaching to the choir here. I bet our audience is a bunch of outdoorsy camping people, but. If they're, just in case there's anybody out there, if you leave your food out, they're gonna have to kill a bear. So don't don't let them kill the bears. Bears are cool. Bears are cool, man. We want them to stay away from humans, so. There was a bear on our patio the other day. Nuh-uh. So I didn't see it, but one of our, do you have next door the app? Um, I don't, but I yeah. know what it is. You know what it is? Yeah, it's like your neighborhood can post stuff on there. And someone posted this bear on a, and he had his hind legs on our fence and his head, he had climbed up and he had his head in the bird feeder bowl. <laughs> and it was at 630 in the morning, I guess he was just like making his way around the neighborhood for apples and stuff. But I was, I thought, oh, that kind of looks like our place. And then I realized it is our place. So yeah, it was really cool. But he didn't come wow. back, which I think is good because then, you know, they probably would have had to tag him and then harm him or put him down or something. So I'm glad he didn't come back, although he really wanted to see him. <laughs> Usually when bears are in town, if they haven't like gotten into trash or human food, if they're just like in fruit trees and things like that, they'll, they'll just um, sedate them and then return them to the wild. Mm -hmm. How weird would that be if you were that bear and you were just eating some apples, you were like, oh, score apples, and then you just wake up in the middle of the forest somewhere. <laughs> just like, did I get roofied? What just happened? Yeah, they roofied that bear. bear. Roofies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> Anyways. So, so, oh, and I got to use a chainsaw. I got to learn how to use a chainsaw. Whoa, that's kind of crazy. I'm super scared I'm going to chop my leg off if I try to use one of those. Again, it all comes back to safety and taking the right precautions and having someone who's done it before show you how to do it so that you're not just absentmindedly go. Because it is. It's like, it reminded me of when I first learned to shoot a gun, like all of the safety mm -hmm. um, checklists that you go through in your head. Because even if you... Like, even if you just keep your head in line with the chainsaw, and if it bounces back, you know, like, Oh, my God. Could split your wig. So you got to kind of lean, like, do it like kind of a gangster lean, and then... Wow. But, yeah, it was really, really cool. We, Tibor bought one for this trip, and it's almost, it's, it's, we're halfway to, for, for it carrying, oh, my gosh. Let me try that again. We're halfway there for it paying for itself because of all the money we saved on buying wood. Mm, and we only, nice. yeah. And there's fire ban for most of, most of the places we stayed at, but anywho. Yeah. So you're a real outdoorsy lady now. Feeling like a lumber, lumber Jill. Lumber Jill. <laughs> felt good. It's very empowering to like, find a dead tree, drag it back to camp, and then cut it up, and then you split it with axe. So, mm -hmm. I'm yeah. not a pro by any means. Yeah, well, you did it. That's all that matters. 
speaking of doing things, did you manage to have a lucid dream? You know, I never did. I really tried. I think I came close, but maybe during this talk, you can give me some pointers. I, I couldn't quite get there. What about you? No, <laughs> no, I came close. And I will say that when, when I really got into it before in my twenties, um, it took me about three months or so of doing state change practices for me till I had my first lucid dream. And my first lucid dream was not what I thought it was going to be. I'll share, I'll share what my first lucid dream was, uh, or at least the experience of it. And it might not even qualify as a lucid dream. Someone who knows a lot about it might be like, that's, that doesn't even count. But in my dream, I was getting shot. Actually, I was getting shot at by the cops. This was like in my twenties. So I'm getting shot at by the cops and I'm out in the street and I fall over and I see like my blood pooling on the street. And I suddenly realized that I'm not dying, that I'm dreaming. So I was like, this is my opportunity to go somewhere else out of this. Cause it was, you know, a very uncomfortable position to be lying in a pool of your own blood in the street. And the first thing that came to mind was France. So I just closed my eyes. I was like, France, France, France. And I opened my eyes and I'm in a parking lot of a grocery store. And I look at the name, the sign on the grocery store <laughs> roof. And it says France. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, not what I was going for, but still pretty cool. Still better than lying in a pool of your own blood. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's, it wasn't, I didn't get exactly what I was asking for, but I did exert some control in my own dream. That was my first experience. What has been your most, um, most lucid dream experience? Most elusive? Most lucid. Oh, most lucid. Um, Lucidest of dreams. Yeah, I think I was, uh, so I don't know what it was with France, but I would, that was like my word I would use that would switch things. And I didn't come up, come up with that in my waking life. I came up with that in like my dream life. Um, so I would say there was one time I could, there's always these little opportunities, these little things that come up and I started to see them in the last week. So I knew I was getting close to realizing I was sleeping um, and dreaming and, but little, little things popping up, like little flashes, like that doesn't look right. And I remember trying to read a document. I was in a house, I was trying to read a document and it was, I couldn't read it. I kept looking at it and like the letters were kept changing and I finally put it down. And then I looked at a clock. I looked at a, there was like a clock on the wall and the, and the hands were moving continuously. Whoa. So that's when I was like, Oh, I'm dreaming. And then I didn't wake up because usually that's what's ha what happens. As soon as you realize you're dreaming, you wake up, or at least for me, that's what happened. And I didn't wake up. I was still in the house and I'm still, the clock's still going, but I was like, France. And all of a sudden I'm outside and there's these like buildings and clock towers. I've never been to France, but it kind of is what I imagine Paris to look like. 
And I just said the word fly and we started flying and I'm flying around the, the city and wow, that's cool. Yeah. That was probably like the best thing that's, that's happened is being able to make that decision to, to fly and then feeling that sensation. That's interesting that you say that because I think last night, I think I almost lucid dreamed and I think it was because of this, like it was the closest I came because I did have that moment of, oh, I'm dreaming. And then I woke up and I wanted so badly to go back in there because I realized it, but I didn't, it was like, and I think what made me lucid dream was I had had, um, uh, espresso later in the day. And so I, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to sleep because even though I was tired, so then I took some melatonin <laughs> and I think that combo made my brain cause melatonin gives me crazy dreams anyway. And the coffee like made my brain more alert. Hmm. And so in my dream, there I was sitting on this bench and there was this guy mowing the lawn around me and he I remember thinking like at first that he was kind of a weird scruffy kind of weird looking guy but then as he came closer I was like oh he's actually like a really attractive guy and he kept coming closer and closer with the lawnmower and I remember thinking wait how is he going to mow where I'm sitting on the bench? Spatially, it didn't compute. And then I realized, oh, I'm dreaming. And then I woke up. <laughs> but it's so hard to, to actually do it. And I, you know, I'm not, I was committed, but I wasn't that committed. Like some things I read, I don't know if you've ever done this, but it would say, set an alarm for five hours after you fall asleep and wake up and read for half an hour and then go back to sleep because then it makes it more likely that you're going to lose a dream. But I was like, I don't want to wake up five hours. I need my whole night's sleep. I don't want to fragment my sleep for this episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. But I, I did, you know, do all the other things that didn't require waking up in the middle of the night. Like, uh, so my thing that I would, well, I should back up. So if you want a lucid dream and you can add to this, but my understanding is you have to do things in your waking life, get really used to checking certain things that would be weird in your dream. So for example, for me, I would frequently throughout the day, just kind of pause and say, am I dreaming? And then I would look at my hands because I read that your hands look weird in a dream. Or if there's a mirror nearby, I would look in a mirror because I guess your reflection looks weird in a dream. Um, and so I was just doing those always throughout the day. And it was kind of funny because sometimes you'd say, am I dreaming? And then there'd be that moment of maybe I am dreaming, but then yes. it never was. <laughs> But who knows? Maybe I'm dreaming right now. But this, my hands look pretty normal though. So I don't think I am. Uh, the mirror thing, yeah. Like I've noticed if I look at the mirror, at myself in the mirror in a dream, 
my hair is always different than how it is in my waking life. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. And you change your hair a lot. So I wonder if that somehow reflects your mind state or something. Yeah, I don't know. But I that is one one way I've played with it. And I was kind of, it was really hard when I was camping to play with these techniques, these waking techniques. I, I did the hand thing like you. Um, I would look at trees and then try to change them, like close my eyes, dreaming, change. Uh, but mostly, mostly what I, what I did, and maybe this is why I didn't have a, or even get super close to a, a lucid dream, is I was just setting the intention in that state, that like hypnagogic state, like right before I fell asleep, right? Is that hypnopompic? I think hypnopompics when you're waking up and hypnopompics when you're falling asleep. I'm not sure, but that is actually, and I think we've talked about that on the podcast a little bit about that state, like just between wake and sleep is a really... Yeah, you mentioned it when you are talking about yoga nidra one time. Oh, right. Okay. So it's also really good for planting intentions because um, you're in that relaxed state. You're in a very receptive state. So I was doing that. Like, tonight I'm going to lucid dream. And, I, and honestly, Daria, there's one thing that we should have looked at before we tried it at this time. But, and I, I read that, so Neptune's in retrograde right now. And Neptune rules dreams. Um, and so we might have better luck when Neptune is direct. But that'll be like another five, five months or something like that. But uh, well, or maybe no, I think it's September. But maybe it would be even easier to lucid dream when Neptune's in retrograde because it's the backwards dreaming. It's, it's wacky. Wacky yeah. stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but I had really vivid dreams. I definitely had vivid. Yeah, weird- the more, same here. The more I pay attention, the more the more vivid they get. And they felt, I mean, I guess this is always true for dreams, but not necessarily. So I've always remembered my dreams. Um, I'm not somebody who wakes up and just goes, oh, I didn't dream. I always remember but they're always feel very random and kind of foggy. But since I've just been trying to lucid dream and just paying more attention, I feel like my dreams have so much more meaning. And I can't say that I exactly understand the meaning, but they, every time I remember my dream, I feel like, okay, that was really significant. Do you want to share an example? example? So, well, the thing is, I can't, I'm having trouble coming up with one right now. So there was one that I had a couple nights ago where I had to, I was with this group of people and I had to, and please don't turn off the podcast because I'm starting to talk about my dream and it's really annoying when people talk about their dreams. So I'll keep it short, but I was with this group of people and they had to push this thing up a hill and I got everybody and nobody could figure it out. Everyone was really confused. 
and I got everybody to work together to push this thing up the hill and we're able to get it to the top. And right when we pushed it over the top, I woke up. Oh, that's a cool dream. You were like yeah. an emergent leader and... Yeah, and so bringing order to the confusion, but I have no idea what that means, but it felt it felt coherent and significant, whereas usually my dreams feel very incoherent and very insignificant. And I've also been dreaming a lot about people that I used to know or symbols of people that I used to know. And I think the cool thing about lucid dreaming for me would be to have conversations with people that I am curious about that I am not in touch with anymore. Yeah. Or like dead people. Yeah. That would be cool too. Yeah. Because, and I think last time on the podcast, I don't know if you mentioned this on the podcast or if we just had this as a personal conversation. I think it was a personal conversation, but you had mentioned that if you were having, or no, this wasn't you and I, this was another friend of mine. We were talking about dreams and she told me that if you're having a dream about somebody else, um, and it's like an intimate dream, that they might be having the same dream about you at the same time. So you might be meeting on the astral plane. Oh. So and now I'm remembering the reason she told me that is she had this friend who was kind of witchy and her witchy friend would meet this other witchy guy on the astral plane and they would hook up on the astral plane. And they both claimed to have been aware of intending to do that and having that dream. So I think I have heard about that. I never, I never knew anyone personally. And I know I was like, is that a myth? But, and I usually would tell people about the like sex dreams I would have with them, but, and um, they never, I never heard of anyone saying like, Oh, I had one about you too. But um, I did have an instant where my best friend I think uh, we were in our early 20s, might have been 21, 22, and we were living together, and her and I had the same dream, the same night. I mean, were you both in the dream together? We were both in the dream together, and it was the same dream. So I really want that to be true, because how cool would that be to, to meet people in the astral plane? I think that's like the weirdest like psychic thing that's ever happened to me because her and I, and I ended up waking up. She, she went to work early and I ended up waking up early and I went downstairs and I was like, I just had the weirdest dream about you. She's like, I had a dream about you too. And we just, we were like finishing each other's sentences of the dream. It was so crazy. Hmm. Do you remember what the, what the dream was? I don't. It was so long ago. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember. I know her and I were um, trying to move a dead body. <laughs> you have the most morbid dreams. The most is that because you're a Scorpio or what? I don't know. Well, I was saying last week it's like the Pitta thing. Pitta's tip. Oh. Pitta dominant hat, uh, types have have more violent dreams. Um, 
dark. Yeah, I don't know. I've always had dark dreams. Really dark. But it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't get scared or anything when I have these dreams. I'm just like, hmm, that's, that's strange. I have a lot of dreams about, like, corpses and... Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever dreamed about a corpse. I probably have. Probably had, like, a, a person die in my dreams. The dream... Do you have one dream that you just remember really well i have a recurring um nightmare yeah care to share or is it too personal it's, it's a theme no it's not personal at all it's just um it's i'm in a house and someone else not myself left the door open or just ajar the door is always just slightly ajar it's giving me chills already <laughs> And I run to close the door, and as soon as I start to close the door, a hand comes no! through. No! Yeah. I actually, actually went to therapy because that That's dream was so pervasive. Cool. And I don't, I don't really have it anymore. The last time I had it, it was actually a bear paw that came through. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. And I, and I was like, not as, that wasn't as, um, <laughs> oh my God, threatening. that's terrifying. But yeah, that, I, I ended up seeing a dream therapist for a while to, um, to work with that. And I, I haven't really, haven't had it in the last couple of years. I, last year I had it with the bear. I was in a cabin and the door was open. I went to go shut it and then a bear paw came around to like push it open. But I, I think I actually got the door shut. In all of the dreams, I try to shut the door and then the hand comes around and I push with all my might, but it's not enough to close the door. And then sometimes someone comes through. One time I just let the door open. This was, I think, when I was working with the dream therapist. I let the door open and a man that kind of looked like Christopher Walken was on the other side. And he comes in and he puts his hands around my throat and starts choke. He like goes to choke me. And then he just lets go and starts laughing. Oh, so it was just a joke. A joke. Oh my God. Yeah. That was one of the last, yeah. Because my, my therapist... You're me out. I'm stressed <laughs> out by your dream. My therapist was like, why don't you just let him come in? And I'm like, ah. No. So I did that one time, and then it was like, and he just started laughing. And I was like, you... Because a lot of times it was my childhood home that I grew up in, and um, yeah. So, but anyway, so yeah, recurring. If you have a recurring dream nightmare, whatever. It can be worked with. You can work through it. You just need to find someone who's, um, who's like certified to do that. Hmm. Yeah. I can't say that I have a recurring dream. Um, I do have this one dream that I had when I was really young, maybe like eight or something. And it was me and my mom were in her bedroom watching TV on the bed, which is something that we would often do. And then this man came in, this creepy old man with this giant syringe. And he stabbed my mom in the stomach with the syringe. Oh, God. (laughs) I know, it's really messed up. And I, it was so real and so scary that I thought it really happened. And for a while I was like, mom, are you okay? And she was like, that didn't happen, but I've always remembered it. I don't think I have any other 
dreams like that that I still remember. And I don't know what that means. Maybe, you know, your mom probably symbolizes a lot of things in your life. And the needle is strange. Your mom's a doctor. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It was creepy. That sounds awful. Horrible. How old were you? Like eight. Ah. Maybe I was older than that. Maybe it just felt like I was eight. But it was definitely like pre-teen, like probably the oldest I would have been was like 12. Yeah. All those early years kind of blur together. That's what happens when you get old. Yeah. Man, I really want a lucid dream though. I think I'm going to keep trying until I can. Me too. Although, you know how we were both talking actually before we started recording about our brains not being up to par oh yeah so listeners we i'm sorry to say we talked a little bit before we started the podcast we should have just recorded it but yeah we've both been having kind of brain farts where just kind of forgetting things and missing things and not being super sharp i don't think that has anything to do with trying the lucid dream though how come you brought it up then? <laughs> Maybe it does because because of what happened to me in the past that I talked about on the last episode where when I did start really getting into lucid dreaming, I couldn't discern the difference between my waking reality and what happened in my dream life. Are you saying that because we're trying to lucid dream, it might be messing with our waking brain? Uh, well, we're intentionally messing with it right? Because you're constantly testing your own reality. Like, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? So yeah. And in a way, I'm also kind of like, I wonder if I have a little bit of a resistance to lucid dreaming. And maybe that's why I keep waking up is it's kind of scary to lucid dream. Mm -hmm. Did you because you know, that movie waking life? Yeah. The Waking Life is a cartoon movie, but it's not a, it's not a cartoon. It's animated about, about lucid dreaming. And it just creeped me out because there's something creepy about it. I can't even put my finger on what's creepy about it, but it's just everything's not right. Yeah, that's it. It's that the world is not as you know it to be, which is cool and awesome and also really freaky. Do you ever get that sort of fear about it? Yeah, and I think that's that's what happened before that made me stop is because it, it started freaking me out too much of just this. And it's something that we all know is that our reality is created. We're creating our own reality right now. And it's one thing to say it in like an intellectual way, like, our, you know, our consciousness is creating reality around us. Everybody's like, okay, yeah, I can get down with that. But when you really think about it, it, it's like, it's, it's, cre- it's kind of creepy. It's, it's kind of creepy because we don't know what is real. And, and honestly, right now, everything, all the information we're getting, like we, we don't know what's real. Like if you think about everything you're getting from media outlets and, you know, the news and everything. Time and time again, we're finding that 
we don't really know what's going on and there's like deep fakes and all these things happening that are possible now that maybe weren't possible 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely think you're onto something there that even though there's a lot of spiritual books and writings and I think pretty well established that your thoughts create your reality and you create your own reality. And we, some people like to believe that some people don't believe it. I think I am somebody who likes to believe that, that my thoughts create my own reality. But then there's this also underlying safety of, but do they, you know, things just kind of happen. So you don't really have control over everything in your life. So you're not, it's, it takes some of the responsibility off. And I think the people who are really successful in creating their own reality kind of get rid of that underlying, oh, but maybe not. They just are full on like Joe Dispenza and all those other people who have manifested their way to their dream life. They just hundred percent believe it, but cause they don't have that. They're able to let go of that security blanket of, Oh, but I'm not really responsible. You know, things just happen. And when you lucid dream, you are responsible for your whole existence in that moment. Everything around you, you literally created and you can change and you have to decide what you're going to do, which sounds scary or intimidating. And so I wonder if that's a roadblock to being able to lucid dream is that sort of fear about it. Yeah, and fear of having that power or fear of your own power to to be able to control something in another dimension. Type. You know what I mean? It's just, it goes against a lot of our conventional beliefs about what's what this reality is, what this dimension is. So for a while, when I first started my business, I was part of this um, marketing group and it was just a a few of us who were like-minded kind of spiritually minded people who had were either just starting a business or had a business for a while and wanted to make a change. And we're all trying to think of different ways to market our business and get more people or get better quality patients, you know, like that fit us better, whatever. And there was one woman who, so what she did, she had, didn't have any, higher education, didn't really have any special trainings. Well, that's not true. She did a lot of special trainings in applied kinesiology. And I don't remember what she called it, but it was like intuitive healing. So you see all these doctors, nobody can help you. You go to see her. I have no idea what she does. She could never explain to us what she does, or she really didn't want to explain to us what she did. Um, but she was the most successful person in the group. People were paying her $300 an hour and she was, she, we would say like, sorry, let me back up. So for example, we'd bring our problems to the group and her problem would be, well, I just don't want to see more people. I just want to charge more. And I'm already charging $300 an hour. I want to charge more than that. So 
everyone in the group would say, well, what do you even do? Like, how are you even going to get people to come and do that? And she's like, oh, well, people are already coming and paying that much. I'm just trying to decide how to structure it. She's like, I already have that while we're all struggling to get it. And we're all doing all this marketing stuff. And the only marketing she does is she sits down and manifests, thinks about what she wants to manifest and does that super consciously, very intentionally several times a day. And she's doing better than all of us. And this, the other people in the group are me, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, um, and another uh, social media person. We all have higher education. We all have, you know, pretty well understood, heard of legitimate, quote unquote, businesses. And we're all struggling, you know? So I thought that was interesting and it made me think, maybe I should just do that. <laughs> well, one thing about that, so here I'm, I'm reading a book right now. It's kind of like an anti-manifest manifestation book. Oh. And the author's argument is that you, you really want to, you want to focus more on aligning with whatever you want to call God or the divine or the universe, aligning with that energy to follow your path. Because you can, the problem is you can manifest whatever you want, but when you do that and it's not aligned with your true calling or your true path, you're beginning to um, create new karma for yourself, which might not, you might not have to deal with in this lifetime, but you might have to deal with it in the next lifetime. So she even said like, you know, that book, The Secret, mm -hmm. she the secret in parentheses to creating new karma. So if you're okay with creating new what karma. Mean, what does creating new karma mean? So, well. It, does it have to be bad karma or can you No, it could, it could be good. Um, but the, it's, it's not, if it's not aligned with what you're supposed to learn in this life. So, so say maybe you're supposed to learn about um, how to handle, like, let's say handling money or something like maybe you're not, it wasn't your path to become a millionaire. Maybe it was your path to kind of be middle of the road, middle class and learn how to, how to manage your money from that standpoint. So that was your karma to like be, to like learn to manage money in this certain aspect of being. And then you manifest this multi-million dollar business because you're, you're, doing all these manifestation exercises and you could argue it the other way too, but you could be a millionaire, but you're still not working through that karma you were supposed to work through in this lifetime. So you're still, you're either going to create new karma that's going to be like harder for you to work with in the next life or even in the future, something might happen and you might lose everything. So to just, it's basically like, just be careful, careful what you wish for because you'll probably get it. I mean, I could, I kind of, you know, all right, but it's always with stuff that has to do with next lives and karma. It could be in this how, life. Well, how do you, I mean, that may be true. It may not, but how does this author, how would anybody know that though? Like, how can she confidently say that? 
Well, it's all based off of yogic philosophy. So, and in yogic philosophy and in the whole idea of karma, it's not like, you know, you do this and then that happens to you or whatever. It's more like karma in the sense that your, your soul's school, the, the school and the lessons that your soul is supposed to learn in this lifetime. It's like a different way of looking at things. Like one way of looking at things is, oh, I have to like really think about what I want, create that and then go for it. Whereas this is like, what am I here to do? And which is kind of the same thing. Maybe I'm not understanding correctly. Well, it's more, it's, it's more about not forcing things, not grasping for things, not chasing things, just allowing yourself to go with the natural flow of how your life is supposed to unfold according to divine will. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That definitely sounds easier <laughs> or maybe not. But, you know, I mean, there is a lot of pressure to chase and my phone's ringing. Grass. I wonder, I wonder if that's why our society really loves the idea of manifesting your own reality because it kind of goes with our mentality of, which is a great mentality of, oh, well, I, I need to do more and like be better and like make more money and like all those things are good qualities, but it, it's not true in every culture. I think our Western culture has a lot more value as an individual if you can do those, if you can have more money, more power, more wealth, more health. More, more, more. (laughs) Yeah, just more, 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 more is more. But if you look at some other cultures where people are happier as far as studies measure happiness it's not the countries that do the more 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 thing like people i I guess like denmark people are really happy and then what was that little there's some tiny little country somewhere in eastern asia where people are just like super happy and they have a nice little government and there's no competition there because everyone in Denmark, at least there's no competition. Like that's, that's why people are so happy because they have, everyone's needs are met and no one's, I don't want to say like no one's special because everyone's special, but no one's better than anyone else. Like (laughs) people who wait tables are given the same amount of respect as like executives. And, And in this country, it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hierarchy and and things like that. So, but it does, it's interesting because it does go back to that like whole like manifest destiny and how as Americans, we're just like, it's ingrained in us. Like we're going to go after it, do it and screw everybody else. You know? Oh, speaking of which, have you watched Hamilton yet? No. Oh, it's on uh, Disney plus, but it was so good i've heard really good things about it i mean so have i but oh my gosh it was like amazing but it was super interesting because yeah it it's pretty accurate of how 
our country was started and it was people being like, I want to manifest my own reality. That's literally how our country started. And look at all the karma we've created. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. But what if we had never done that? We would still be under British rule. Yeah. So, I mean, no offense, British people, but definitely wasn't looking good back then. Yeah, who knows? We might not even be alive. We'd probably be considered witches with all the stuff we do. Yeah. I don't know, though. Yeah, it's hard to say what would have happened. Maybe in a in another version of reality, you know. An alternate universe? Yeah. God, don't you wish you could see your life if you had made one different significant choice where you would be at? I don't want to know. I... It wouldn't have been good. I think I feel like I'm with I'm living the best version of my life right now, <laughs> compared with all the things that I've like narrowly escaped. And I was like, oh, that I probably should have died back then, you know, mm-hmm. or like been in jail. Yeah, I've often thought, like, oh, maybe I if I'd gotten a different profession, like my life would be really different. But I don't think those things mattered that much. I think your personality, how driven you are, are, and your, who you are at your core, you're always going to kind of do the same thing. Like your circumstances don't matter that much. I mean, well, that's not true. I think your circumstances matter to a certain baseline then beyond that they don't matter. Like if you're in poverty or you're in like some sort of abusive situation or you know, your, your base needs, your Maslow's hierarchy of needs aren't met, then I think circumstances matter a lot. But once those are met, circumstances stop mattering. You just are kind of who you are. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I think. I don't know if I would be that different if my circumstances were like, if I had a different job or a different profession or something. What do you think? Do you think you'd be different if you had a different job? What if you were like a software engineer? <laughs> um, I think I'd I, I'd still be miserable. I mean, not that I'm miserable now. Or yeah. <laughs> I mean, or maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I think I'd still just be me. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I'd still be was trying there, to lucid dream and microwave. Was there a time in your life before you became a PTA that there was another profession that you were going to head towards? Yeah, I was on track to go into a PhD program for research psychology. Mm. And I failed at the last minute. I was actually working in a lab at Hopkins, in the behavioral science lab at Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, and was on track to, like, go right in, not even go into a master's first, like after my four year, after my bachelor's, I was going to go right into a PhD. And my advisors in college were pushing me that way and prepping me for that. And I, I got published as an undergrad. So that was like huge. Mm -hmm. I was doing master's level research, my junior and senior year of college. Anyways, and then I was working in a lab and I was, I just saw how miserable 
And this was like at a very prestigious university too. Um, and I saw how, that the, the PhDs there were, you know, they were working like 50, 60 hour work weeks and making, you know, 70 grand a year. Like it, they never saw their families and you're stuck in a, in a lab in a room without windows all day. You're in front of the computer most of the time. Huh. And um, yeah, I was just like, I can't, couldn't imagine doing that. I kind of romanticized the idea of research in my younger days. And then when I actually got into it, I was like, I can't, I can't do that. And actually there's a PT working in our lab and that's how I got into a PT. Huh. Yeah, we were doing chronic pain research and I was really interested in pain science back then. And I still am. But even back then, like in my early 20s, like this was like, you know, before pain science was really a thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And they were doing they were doing uh, TMJ, like chronic pain research when comorbidities with um, psychological disorders and sleep disorders. So I actually worked in a sleep lab, too, for a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I could see you still being similar to you, but maybe maybe a little different. Just more debt. <laughs> more debt. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, I would, I would have, I would say if I would have followed that path, I'd, I'd probably have about $200,000 in student loan debt right now. So. Yeah. They don't pay, like, you don't, you just don't make any money, like, you slave away. That's the problem with these PhD programs is you slave away and then because like even after you're finished your program you still have to do your postdoc and you're really not making any money you might get a stipend if you're lucky and then like you're topping out at like 70,000 a year which isn't bad but for the amount of debt that you're going into and the amount of work that you're you're pouring your you know your life into this work it's it's just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so to kind of circle back to lucid dreaming, <laughs> went off on a tangent. Oh, I think it was a good tangent. We were talking about following our life dreams. Um, do you think you're going to keep trying to lucid dream? I, I am because I felt like that time I was camping, it was like really I wasn't really trying too much. I think I'm going to keep up with it. It's, it's definitely connecting me back to that part of my, my life, my dream life that I really like and I've liked ever since I was a kid. It's just, it's just connecting me to a different aspect of myself, which I really like, even though it gets weird. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we don't have a problem with getting weird. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to keep trying also. I I like it. It's it's so unlike anything I've ever done and I feel like I'm close, so I want to keep trying. Well, we'll we'll post it. Uh, we'll keep updating each other. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep going. Keep going. Right. And keep going. Cool. Well, because we're both brain parts, we didn't plan what we're going to talk about next week. We didn't. It's going to be a surprise. Yeah, it's a surprise, you guys. So, yeah, you'll get your surprise topic next time. And, yeah, just uh, if you've been able to lucid dream or had some crazy experiences, like, let us know. 
We'd love to hear about anything weird that happened to you when you were trying the lucid dream or even just remembering your dreams. Yeah. So Christine, how can they get in touch with us? So you can comment um, on the episode, I think. Yeah, you can on anchor.fm forward slash getting dash weird and um, should be able to comment. Yeah. And I also have a YouTube channel that we don't visit very often, but um, that's what we should do. We should get these on YouTube because um, then people could post comments really easily. So pause recording. Should we have like an email that people can like send in their stories to? We could, we could make one, we could make like a Gmail, getting weird at Gmail or something. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about it off air. Well, maybe we should say that on this one though. But we don't so have the, okay, let's, well, let's just say that we're going to come up with an email. We'll put it in the show notes. And if you have any questions or comments. Um, or, or stories about your lucid dreams. Yeah, you can send it to that email and they will talk about it on the show. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, cool. All right, well, uh, thanks for getting weird with us. And I'm Daria. And I'm Christine. Reminding you to... Get a little weird. Or a lot weird. Guys, yeah, really weird. Get super weird. See you next time. Bye.